I've been uh, thinking a little bit more about the leaked draft of Justice Sam Alito's opinion in the abortion case, just because it's such an unusual occurrence and that it's never happened before where we've seen an early draft of a Supreme Court opinion before the opinion has officially been released by the court, especially an opinion of such great importance. And who, who knows if they'll ever figure out who leaked it, or even if they do, maybe we'll never find out the truth. But the leak is interesting to me to the extent that it potentially offers some clues of what's maybe really going on behind the scenes at the court. Now that we've had a little over a week to digest the 67-page draft opinion, the more I look at it, the more it seems like an opinion that cannot be the final word on the abortion issue by this court. I previously mentioned that it still seems possible that there would be a concurring opinion by one of the justices that ends up being the final word, or maybe a different majority would be formed than the one that's the five-person majority that uh, makes up Justice Alito's opinion. And even if there are five justices who agree that Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided in 1973 and that it should be overturned, there can also be five justices who agree that regardless, the Constitution still does not allow states to entirely ban abortion for other reasons, including, for example, the freedom of religion clauses contained in the First Amendment or on the ground that the laws banning abortion do not provide women with equal, equal protection under the law in violation of the 14th Amendment. So even if the court issues an opinion overturning Roe versus Wade, like the one that was leaked, there could still be another opinion issued at the same time that to some extent minimizes or neutralizes the impact of five justices agreeing that Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided. Or it's also possible that Justice Alito's opinion is just an outdated draft and might not end up being the opinion at all. And it, it could just end up being a dissenting opinion issued by just Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas and nobody else. Or maybe it's joined by one or two other justices, but still falls short of putting together a five justice majority. I am still not totally convinced that justices Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett are all on board with banning abortion without exception, and that maybe one of them, two of them, or even all three of them have been or will be persuaded to preserve the right to an abortion, even if they agree that Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided. And this is pure speculation because I obviously have no way of knowing who leaked the document, but I think for a lot of people, maybe their initial instinct was that someone who is on the pro-choice side might have leaked it to try to create some pushback or protests that could maybe change the minds of the five justices in the majority before the opinion is released. But I think the opposite is more likely that maybe initially they had five justices on board, but since early February when this draft was circulated and, and, and drafted, and over the course of the past few months, as the justices in the minority are dissecting that opinion 
and drafting their responses and pointing out its many flaws and the damage the ruling is going to potentially cause, maybe it's possible that Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and or Amy Coney Barrett, some or all of them, are jumping ship or have jumped ship and have decided to go in a different direction and are forming a majority that's more aligned with not allowing states to ban abortion at this time. And so maybe someone leaked the earlier draft in an effort to try to lock them in on the Justice Alito opinion. And again, I don't want to give anyone false hope. This is speculative, but it's a possibility that should be considered before everyone concludes that this is a done deal. The justices can and do change their opinions, and the justices forming the majority it can and does change sometimes before an opinion is officially issued. We just don't have very much insight into it historically because it all happens behind closed doors. But we do know that it happens as part of the justices' deliberation process. And I saw there were protests outside of Justice Kavanaugh's home and Justice Coney Barrett's home. And I can't help but wonder, were those protests legit? Or were they orchestrated by someone who wants to put those justices in a position where they feel compelled to stick with Justice Alito to prevent people from accusing them of being intimidated by the protesters? I also found it interesting that the Washington Post reported when the opinion was leaked, the Post said, quote, as of last week, the majority of five justices to strike Roe remains intact, according to three conservatives close to the court, who, like others, spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss a sensitive matter. So, you know, that article raises a lot of questions. So the question is, why do the three conservatives close to the court want people to know that as of last week, the five justices still supported overturning Roe? And to be clear, we know Alito and Thomas support it. So what it's saying is that as of last week, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett supported it. But we don't know if they still support it. Uh, uh, and how do these three conservatives close to the court even know any of this unless they work for the court, which sounds less likely because three, three people is a lot of people working in the same building to be involved in a breach of this magnitude. And it sounds like the same people who want you to know the confidential information that there was a five justice majority as of last week would also be on the same side as the people involved in leaking the draft. So when I look at it, I, I feel like the leak is more likely the product of someone freaking out over people changing their opinions, specifically among justices Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and or Amy Coney Barrett. And this tactic is potentially an effort to try to get everyone to stick with the original plan. And if you think they've already made up their minds about jumping ship, then releasing this draft undermines the opinion when it's released and creates more chaos and confusion and anger among certain portions of the population. 
I think I think a lot of people think that Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett may be more likely to keep abortion legal. People seem to think they're both a bit more moderate than many initially believed and that they favor incremental change instead of you know radical overnight changes in the law. But I think Neil Gorsuch would also possibly not want to allow abortions to be banned to the extent that many of these laws are contemplating. I think all three of them are possibly justices who would not go along with the Alito opinion when it comes down to it. When the, when the oral argument happens in the Supreme Court, the attorneys present their arguments and the nine justices fire, fire away questions at the lawyers. And if you ever, chan- ever have a chance to go watch an argument at the Supreme Court, if you're ever visiting D.C. when the court's in session, I, I highly recommend it because I think it's a pretty cool thing to see. And they do allow some members of the public to observe on a first-come, first-served basis. But when the justices are asking questions during the oral, oral argument, everyone is sort of looking at what the justices are saying and what they're asking to try and maybe read tea leaves to get a sense of where the justices stand on the issue that's being argued. And I remember at the time of the oral argument for the abortion case last December, the justice who I was most interested in hearing from was Neil Gorsuch. Even though he is a Republican appointee appointed by Trump, I always felt that he could be a justice who is potentially the swing vote in this abortion case. He previously worked as a clerk for Justice Anthony Kennedy in the Supreme Court in the 1993-1994 term. And Justice Kennedy turned out to be a pretty middle-of-the-road justice. And there is some history. It's not always the case, but there is some history of clerks of Supreme Court justices being somewhat aligned with the judicial philosophies and approaches of the justices who they clerked for. Um, Brett Kavanaugh also clerked for Anthony Kennedy. And I think like Justice Gorsuch, they've both written opinions at times that have taken more moderate views on certain issues, suggesting that maybe they are not as far right as Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas, which makes sense because Alito and Thomas are both older and from an older generation. Alito, Sam Alito is 72, Clarence Thomas is 73, and Kavanaugh is 57, Gorsuch is 54, and Amy Coney Barrett is 50. All three of them, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Coney Barrett, uh, they're all pretty smart, and I'm sure they're all putting some serious thought into the extent to which they want to take their cues from two justices who are not the future of the court when the three of them are the future of the court and they will be the ones responsible for keeping this democracy going and keeping this country functioning um, you know, after Alito and Thomas leave the court. And it wouldn't surprise me if any of them had a change of heart or figured out some compromise or middle ground that is more tolerable than what justices Alito and Thomas are contemplating. Um, It could just be wishful thinking on my part, but at the end of the day, these are real people with the kinds of personalities and backgrounds that 
resulted in them ending up on the United States Supreme Court. And I think it's less likely than people think that, you know, that any justices are going to just go along to get along on the Supreme Court when it comes to a case that could define their entire careers in the eyes of the public. And I keep coming back to Justice Gorsuch. He's, you know, a 54 year old guy from Boulder, Colorado. His wife is British. They have two daughters. And I keep thinking about the opinion he wrote in a case called Bostock, uh, Bostock versus Clayton County from June of 2020. He wrote the opinion for the court and was joined by Chief Justice Roberts and the four Democratic appointed justices to form a six-person majority. There were four Democrats at the time because it was still three months before Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away and was replaced by Amy Coney Barrett. Um, Bostock was a case where Justice Gorsuch wrote an opinion defending LGBT rights and holding that a law passed by Congress in the 1960s that prohibits discrimination based on sex is not limited to discrimination based on gender alone, but also includes discrimination against gay or transgender employees, even though that is not what Congress intended when Congress wrote the law in the 1960s. And I thought his reasoning was pretty interesting. What he said or what he wrote is that when you discriminate against people for being in same-sex relationships, you actually are in fact discriminating against them based on gender or sex and not just sexual orientation because that person would not suffer the same discrimination if they were the opposite sex. A man who suffers discrimination for being in a relationship with another man would not suffer that harm if he was a woman. And a woman being discriminated against for being in a, in a relationship with a woman would not suffer that discrimination if the woman was a man and in a relationship with a woman. So in Justice Gorsuch's opinion, he believed that the discrimination was based on gender. And if a law says you cannot discriminate based on gender or sex, then it therefore also applies to discrimination based on sexual orientation, even if the statute does not say anything about sexual orientation. And even though everyone agrees that Congress did not intend for the law to protect LGBT people or prevent discrimination based on sexual orientation because it was not something that they even considered at the time it was passed. And Justice Sam Alito and, Clam and Clarence Thomas were both adamantly against this interpretation and said you can't interpret the law to mean something that Congress could have never intended it to mean. But Justice Gorsuch's view in that case was that a court today is not bound by what members of Congress thought in the 1960s. And if the words on the page, the words in the statute can reasonably be interpreted today in the way that he was interpreting them, then that's good enough. And I remember thinking at the time uh, when the Bostock decision came out that it could be foreshadowing or essentially buying some street cred for some day in the future when Neil Gorsuch is deciding an abortion case. Now, he could use that same reasoning to say he's interpreting the Constitution in a way to ban abortions consistent 
with the Justice Alito opinion that was leaked, but he also could be applying that reasoning in a way similar to his approach in, in the Bostock case to see if he can find a middle ground where he says Roe versus Wade got it wrong and the due process clause should not be interpreted the way it's being interpreted in Roe, but the establishment clause of the First Amendment or the equal protection clause can be interpreted to protect the right to an abortion. And that's kind of the way Justice Kennedy operated, the justice he clerked for. Uh, Justice Kennedy, in fact, wrote the opinion in 2015 saying that laws banning gay marriage are unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment. And just another interesting note on the LGBT case, the Bostock case, that, that which was you know came out two years ago, uh, just last night, May 13, 2022, Justice Alito was speaking at some event at a law school and he harshly criticized Neil Gorsuch publicly and said Gorsuch is a colleague and a friend, but he then talked about how Gorsuch's opinion in Bostock was indefensible. And again, it just seems curious that at this moment in time, the Justice Alito, you know, right after this opinion is leaked, that he would be publicly criticizing Neil Gorsuch, um, unless there isn't maybe something going on behind the scenes with regard to the alliances and the majority that's being formed in the abortion case. It just seems like an odd time for Alito to be calling out Neil Gorsuch and reminding everyone that Gorsuch wrote an opinion in support of LGBT rights. So when they had the oral argument in December for the abortion case, I was most interested in hearing the questions asked by Justice Gorsuch and trying to see if we could read any tea leaves as far as where he stands. But he actually kept things pretty close to the vest and did not ask a lot of questions. If I recall, I think he maybe asked one or two pretty neutral questions. And I remember that I didn't pick up much at the time of the oral argument as far as figuring out where he stood. But I have continued to believe that he is very aware of the opportunity he has to become the swing vote on the Supreme Court for the next few years on a lot of issues and that he can really play an important role in shaping the rulings with the court's current makeup. And a case like the abortion case could really enhance his profile if he's willing to step into that role. Um, my favorite my favorite Supreme Court justice in my lifetime or during the time that I've been paying attention to this stuff is Justice David Souter, who retired in 2009. He's, he, he always kept a pretty low profile, and I think a lot of people maybe aren't too familiar with him, which he seems okay with. But David Souter was nominated to the Supreme Court in 1990 by George Bush Sr., George H.W. Bush, and he was chosen because Bush and the people around him believed that David Souter was a solid, conservative, right-wing Republican. And there were people who George Bush passed over, some really well-known, staunch conservatives, because the Bush White House did not think those cons- those people were conservative enough or as conservative as David Souter would be as a Supreme Court justice. And they thought David Souter was a reliable vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. 
But when the first opportunity came up to overturn it in 1992 in the Casey case, he wouldn't do it. And then over time, he sided more and more with the Democratic appointed justices. And eventually, David Souter became one of the Supreme Court's most liberal justices. And he then retired when Obama became president to ensure that a Democratic president named his replacement, which was who was uh, Sonia Sotomayor. So he was appointed by a Republican, Bush, and then chose to have a Democrat name his replacement, which is pretty rare. And I just love that he got onto the Supreme Court and was like still figuring out who he is and what he believes, what he stands for, and what's important to him, and was willing to change his views on certain issues. And he just took the position that, you know, I, I have this job for as long as I want it. It's a lifetime appointment. I'm not beholden to George Bush or to any political party. And I'm going to write opinions that reflect my honest opinions. And you can disagree with me, but I'm doing things my way and I'm staying true to myself. And I don't care what you thought I would do when you gave me the job. And I would have the same respect for a justice appointed by a Democrat who does the job with the same intellectual honesty, even if it means sometimes taking a position that is not the official liberal position. But the point is that once someone is on the Supreme Court, they can pretty much do whatever they want, assuming they're not under someone else's influence or under someone else's control or beholden to anyone for reasons that are never disclosed to the American public. And, and maybe this is you know a topic for another time, but when it comes to Justice Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, I would not take issue with any of his views and his interpretation of the law, even though I disagree with many of his views, but for the fact that there are still a lot of unanswered questions about his past that do not allow the American public, or at least do not allow me, to feel confident that he has not been compromised and that he feels as free as David Souter felt to do and say what he wants and what he personally believes. And maybe over time I'll be convinced otherwise, but his confirmation hearings are still very troubling for a number of reasons, but in part because we're left with a lot of uncertainty about his independence as a judge. And I don't want to get too off track with a Brett Kavanaugh tangent, but there's always this weird thing where if enough time passes, people just move on from things, but that's just time playing games with your mind because the circumstances are still the same that they were at the time of Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings when he was appointed to the court. Um, like a lot of people, I watched the hearings. I heard testimony from his accuser. I heard testimony from him, and I found that she was credible and he was not. And that's it. It's that simple. That's just the way it goes in most cases. Two people tell their stories and you figure out who you believe. You study their demeanor. You consider their evidence. It's what we all do in our day-to-day -day lives when we're trying to get to the bottom of things. And I thought her demeanor and responses were consistent with someone answering truthfully to the best of their ability. And Brett Kavanaugh, meanwhile, was crying and slobbering all over the place and saying, I like to drink beer, is that so wrong? And he's holding up an old calendar 
from when he was in high school and saying he couldn't have assaulted her because there's no record of it in his calendar. And people are like, well, what does it mean in, on your calendar when you say you were boffing with your friends, Timmy and Squeegee? And he's like, that's not sexual, you perverts. Boffing is when you drink beer through your anus. I told you, I like beer. And people were just like, see, he's just a regular guy who likes to drink beer with his butt and he's totally suitable for the Supreme Court. And a lot of us at the time were thinking, well, maybe we can hear from Timmy and Squeegee and the other witnesses and see what they have to say about all this. You actually do have at your disposal the unlimited resources of the United States federal government to produce any witness you want to back up your story. And you've produced no witnesses. You're not allowing any investigation to occur. And, you know, you just came off as being very evasive and you didn't explain your evasiveness. And maybe he has a response to all that, but he's never shared it with us. And the fact is, even before Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings and all the accusations against him that arose during the hearings, setting that aside, we still don't know how certain debts that he allegedly incurred were paid off. When the sexual assault allegations came up, the issue regarding who paid off his debts just went away. And again, maybe he has a response to that too, but we don't know what it is and it doesn't seem he has any intention of ever sharing it with us. Um, But even before considering all that, the debts, the sexual assault allegations. I thought Kavanaugh's nomination was troubling to begin with because people may not recall, but it was widely reported that Justice Kennedy met with Trump and advised the president to nominate Kavanaugh. Uh, you know, because I, and I don't know if Kennedy conditioned his own retirement from the Supreme Court on Trump agreeing to nominate Brett Kavanaugh in his place. But it sounds like that maybe happened, but we don't know because of the lack of transparency in the process. But even if Kennedy was merely suggesting or advising Trump to nominate Kavanaugh as his replacement, that alone violates the Constitution. And maybe justices on both sides are doing that. I don't know what discussions did or did not occur between Justice Stephen Breyer and Joe Biden before he recently announced his retirement and his former clerk, uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, was nominated to replace him. I hope none, but the bottom line is that a sitting Supreme Court justice cannot be involved in any way in picking their own replacement, and a justice should have no say in the matter. And if they recommend someone, that person should automatically be eliminated from consideration because it violates the Constitution. One of the foundational principles of the United States Constitution that is essential to its functioning is the separation of powers, meaning the three branches of government, the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch must remain separate and apart and cannot interact in governmental affairs except as provided for in the Constitution. The Constitution states in Article 2, Section 2, that the president shall nominate and appoint with the advice and consent of the Senate, the judges of the Supreme Court. Only the legislative branch, only the Senate, 
can advise the executive branch on appointments to the judicial branch. And it is completely inappropriate and was inappropriate and violates the separation of powers for a sitting justice on the United States Supreme Court, Justice Kennedy, a member of the the judicial branch, the swing vote in many cases, and in a real position of power, to advise the president on his own replacement and maybe even condition his retirement and the ability of the president to appoint a new justice, which is a thing of great value to the president, on the president's agreement to nominate a specific person handpicked by the departing member of the Supreme Court. It is troubling on so many levels and undermines the Constitution and the legitimacy of the Supreme Court in so many ways And I challenge any justice on the Supreme Court to explain how that is possibly allowed and appropriate under the Constitution. And so in the end, we're still left with the question, is Brett Kavanaugh compromised? Maybe so, maybe not, and time will tell or it won't. But I think it's messed up how that all went down and any communications between the judicial branch and the executive branch are just wrong, whether it's Trump, Biden, whoever's president, under the Constitution, only the Senate can advise and consent with their vote to the appointment of a Supreme Court justice. And whether or not there is, you know, whether or not there is any impropriety, it's the appearance of impropriety that's a problem, and it shouldn't happen anymore. But here's the real problem with the Kavanaugh appointment and why his membership as one of only nine justices on the Supreme Court is a problem. The thing we really don't know that is most unsettling is why did it have to be this guy? Like, why did they have to keep this guy as the nominee when the shit hit the fan? Uh, Nominees on both sides have been replaced before when new information comes to light during the confirmation hearings. And it's not that big a deal. It happens all the time. 37 nominations for Supreme Court justices have failed. 11 times a nominee has been withdrawn and replaced with another nominee. It happened with George W. Bush when he nominated Harriet Myers and it bothered people that she was friends with George Bush. And George Bush was like, fine, Harriet's out. We withdraw the nomination and I'll nominate Sam Alito instead. So now we have Sam Alito. in 1987, Ronald Reagan nominated Douglas Ginsburg and they forced him to withdraw because it was revealed he had smoked weed with his students at Harvard and Reagan then nominated Justice Anthony Kennedy instead who begat Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. And I'm just surprised more people don't still find it troubling that there were people in power at the time who cared as much as they did that 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 specific guy, the the beer enema guy, has to be the guy who gets that job and no one else. If they had withdrawn the nomination, he could have immediately been replaced with some other conservative judge with similar views as uh, you know, as similar similar views that Justice Kavanaugh has. They had a long list of possible nominees. If you control the Senate, as Republicans did at at the time, they had the ability to vote in whoever they wanted. Um, so what are we supposed to do with all this? I mean, every person in this country has a relationship with Kavanaugh in that 
his job is writing and issuing orders on how people in this country are required to live their day-to-day lives. And I'm not sure why Justice Kavanaugh would want that kind of disharmony in the relationship. And even if he believes he's been falsely accused of things, I hope he can still appreciate why someone like myself might not be able to fully embrace him, even if he issues opinions that I agree with. Um, it, it could be it could be even that someone installed him with good intentions, thinking we need him in there to save the country. Someone might have installed him thinking he will uphold a woman's right to choose and maintain a balance in this country between the left and the right. That's what Justice Kennedy tried to do, and maybe he thought Justice Kavanaugh would do the same. But wherever he stands on the abortion case or any issue, we just don't know if he's under the influence of others because we never got honest answers from him. I don't have similar questions when it comes to Neil Gorsuch or Amy Coney Barrett, even though I don't agree with them on many things. This is just about what I know and what I don't know. And even if he takes positions I support, it's probably not going to alleviate my concerns. And I wish I could say that there's only one seat on the Supreme Court that's potentially been compromised, but what's happened over the past year with Clarence Thomas also can cannot be ignored. A case came before the Supreme Court where Congress was asking the Trump administration to turn over communications relating to the events of January 6th. And the Trump White House, the former administration, was saying they should not have to turn over the communications, that they're privileged. And by an eight to one vote, the Supreme Court said the communications have to, the emails or texts have to be turned over. And the one dissenting vote, the, the one person on the other side who it was Justice Thomas, Clarence Thomas, who did not disclose at the time that he knew that the communications at issue potentially included communications between his wife and the White House in which his wife, Ginny Thomas, was encouraging the White House to violate the law, ignore the Constitution, and install Trump in power regardless of the outcome of the election. Um, the wife of a justice on the Supreme Court, who you know, a justice who would be making decisions about the outcome of the election, was using her position of power as the wife of a Supreme Court justice to try to persuade the executive branch to overthrow the government. And you know, make no mistake, the only reason Jimmy Ginny Thomas has access to the White House and can send text messages to the president's chief of staff is because her husband has one of nine votes on the Supreme Court. No spouse, no spouse of any Supreme Court justice should be sending any text messages to anyone in the White House about anything. And if you want a job on the United States Supreme Court, if you want one of the nine votes where you get to tell people who you don't know and who you've never met how they have to live their lives, if you want that job and that great responsibility, then part of the deal is that no one in your family, whatever their own ambitions may be, is allowed to do what Ginny Thomas did when she sent text messages to Mark Meadows, the White House chief of staff, especially text messages advocating to overthrow the United States government. If you 
and your family members are not willing to do that, then the job isn't for you. And I'm sure we can find plenty of people who are willing to follow those rules. And the fact that Chief Justice Roberts and so many others are willing to just move on and pretend this didn't happen and not even address this issue going forward, and maybe something is being done behind the scenes that I don't know about, but you know, the fact that they're, you know, I, I hope they're doing something to make sure it never happens again. Um, you know, because if not, it means that the country and the Supreme Court is in serious trouble and the people in power entrusted with keeping this democracy going either don't know it or are willfully ignoring it. Um, Clarence Thomas clearly had an obligation to recuse himself from that case and say, I cannot be involved in this case because I have a conflict of interest. He knew he had a conflict and it seems like maybe he didn't do that because he wasn't entirely sure if his wife's name would pop up in the emails or texts. And he probably felt that by recusing himself, he'd be disclosing information that he was still hoping might never come to light and might never be disclosed. But it was disclosed and he hasn't explained himself. And when you look at his wife's texts, I do have some sympathy for both of them because if someone is sending the texts she sent where she's carrying on about the election being stolen and how the White House has to do something and she's all frantic and caught up in this nonsense, you can see that she's not in a very good place. Um, anyone sending texts like that is consumed with a lot of dark energy and in a pretty dark place that can be hard to get out of. And I would maybe even possibly understand if Clarence Thomas was like, hey, what do you want me to do? We don't see eye to eye on this, but she's my wife. I love her and I believe I can still be an impartial judge. But he hasn't said that. And Clarence Thomas over the past week has talked about the leaked opinion and how it's a betrayal of trust that someone leaked it. And he's saying, we won't be bullied. We're still going to issue the opinion we want. Um, Clarence Thomas is famous for not asking questions during oral arguments at the Supreme Court. He went 10 years at one point without asking a single question during or oral arguments. And for someone who keeps his mouth shut, he sure is doing a lot of talking this week. And this is just opinion and speculation. But if I were investigating the leak, I'd be looking at Clarence Thomas really hard because he and his wife have, you know, they've got all kinds of stink all over them and he has proven that he is not an honest person. And so my radar is going off and I just think he's all deep in this. And, you know, he lied at his confirmation hearings in 1991 and I think he's maybe lying 30 years later. That doesn't mean he's a bad person. I've read several biographies about his life and he's had a unique journey that is very different from mine. He grew up very poor without indoor plumbing and made it onto the Supreme Court. Um, but everything Anita Hill said he did was, uh, you know, was credible and probably true. And he could have admitted to it back then and said he didn't think it disqualifies him from serving on the court and allowed the senators to either give him the job or not give him the job. Um, instead, he chose to play the victim and carry a chip on his shoulder the past 30 years. And it's unfortunate for him, just like it's unfortunate for Justice Kavanaugh, because I think if they had both 
navigated the adversity that arose during their confirmation hearings in a manner that wasn't rooted in fear of not getting the desired outcome, then I think they could have potentially accepted some responsibility while still getting the outcome they wanted. And whether or not they even got the job, at least they wouldn't be stuck in this you know, hellish life where people just don't trust them and don't want them involved in their lives or making decisions that impact their lives. When I think about the late uh, Justice Antonin Scalia, there are many things he wrote that I did not agree with, and he had some opinions that I did agree with, but the disagreements were uh, you know, palatable because I, I never felt he was corrupt or dishonest. And I can understand why he was close friends with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, even though their judicial philosophies were polar opposites because she knew that he was sincere in his beliefs and not corrupt. Um, and that's, that's all I really need from a Supreme Court justice. I don't have to agree with them on anything. I just have to trust them that they're honest and will uphold the Constitution. Um, and I think each of them, you know, Justice Thomas and Kavanaugh, could have still ended up on the Supreme Court if they had just taken different approaches to the allegations. With, with Clarence Thomas, I'm not as sure because the country was different then, but at the same time, it was like the first time anyone ever talked about sexual harassment in the workplace. So who knows if he would have been held accountable, but I can see a scenario where he accepted some responsibility and showed some remorse and still got the job. Um, but with Brett Kavanaugh, I, I still find his whole defense so perplexing because it seems that if he would have just said that he either doesn't remember it happening or recalls it differently and said that he wished she had brought it to his attention sooner so he could have addressed it sooner, that he still he would have still been appointed to the Supreme Court. Um, but the fact that he just denied it and took the position that she's lying and made this up out of thin air, it, it's just not credible on so many levels. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, now, one might say that his strategy of lying worked because um, he got the job, so people would say it's the right strategy. But first of all, it it barely worked and almost didn't. Um, but even still, you know, to what end? It, it worked, but he could have gotten on the court without lying. Um, so now we have two of nine justices where we have a lot of unanswered questions. If justices Kavanaugh and Thomas really cared about the United States and our democracy and the Constitution, and if they really appreciate how important our democracy is and believe that the success of our country is critical to the survival and evolution of humankind, if they really want to serve the country and humanity and not just themselves, as soon as there is a majority of Republicans in the Senate or a Republican president, they, sh they should resign and allow another person with similar views to their own take their seat on the Supreme Court. I think, I think Justice Thomas is probably going to do that because he wants to retire when a Republican is in office, but I think Kavanaugh should also give it some thought and if he's willing to step up and do the right thing, I'm not opposed to you know, giving him his pension or figuring out ways to address some of his concerns as part of a compromise, and then it's not that big a deal. You could say, look, you got to serve on the Supreme Court for a few years. It was pretty cool. Maybe it would have been fun to do longer, and you'll probably be happier just you know, putting all this behind you. 
Um, burn it, burn it down, set your soul free and become a leader in this country for positive change. And I do think the two situations are different. I, I don't think there's a basis to impeach Justice Kavanaugh at this time because I don't think we know enough. I would just hope he recognizes the problems he created and does the right thing. But Justice Thomas, on the other hand, you know, he should be removed immediately and he would be removed if we had a functioning federal government. And I think he knows that. And I think he's possibly freaked out and will do whatever he can to take the spotlight off him and his wife, Ginny, who was directly involved in the January 6th siege of the Capitol and the efforts to overthrow the government. I've seen enough movies in my lifetime to know that there's nothing more dangerous than two people in love who feel they only have each other and realize they've crossed a line from which there's no turning back. Um, for the most part, the Supreme Court has been a great success in the history of this country, but you know it starts with one-ninth of the court becoming tainted, then two-ninths of the court. And if one more seat becomes compromised, it's a third of the court. And before you know, it's over. If the Supreme Court isn't legitimate, then that's it. The democracy is over and the Constitution has failed. And I'm surprised that there are not more people on both sides who don't really seem to be appreciating how fragile our democracy is. Which brings me back to Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. I don't know any of them too, too well, and I haven't read too much of what they've written, but from what I have seen and what I have read, I, I do think they all get it on some level, even Brett Kavanaugh. And I think that, you know, like Chief Justice John Roberts, I think they probably do understand that our democracy is fragile and, you know, banning abortion could potentially usher in a new regime for the country that, you know, could, could be very detrimental. Um, even if they're anti-abortion, I just have a hard time believing that these justices would agree that states can pass laws that would require a 12-year-old rape victim to carry a child to term and go through childbirth. And again, my hope is that they're not just on the side of allowing abortion bans with limited exceptions. I hope they're against abortion bans entirely. But I'd be really surprised if they all agree that states can pass laws as extreme as the ones that are being passed or that some states are now saying will be passed um, if Roe versus Wade is overturned. Um, I think Justices Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Coney Barrett maybe understand that if you just give free reign to a bunch of state legislatures to basically do whatever they want when it comes to abortion. It's a recipe for disaster in so many ways. And at some point, if the government is allowed to become as oppressive as is being contemplated by Justice Alito and some of these state legislatures, the whole thing could collapse because at some point, People are not going to care what the Supreme Court has to say about something if the court is not perceived as being legitimate and isn't making people's lives better. And maybe this is just me fantasizing, but like I was saying about Justice Scalia and RBG being friends, I, I like to think that 
you know, Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor and Stephen Breyer and John Roberts probably all get along very well with the new justices and that someone like Elena Kagan can sit down with Neil Gorsuch and Stephen Breyer can sit down with Brett Kavanaugh and Sonia Sotomayor can sit down with Amy Coney Barrett and John Roberts can sit down with whoever and everyone can just talk about these issues in a meaningful way that takes into account all of the realities of our country and our democracy and the 330 million people living here who would be impacted by the Supreme Court's decision. I think one of the shortcomings of the leaked draft opinion of Justice Alito is that it's a legal analysis analysis that's not really tethered to reality. It's like, sure, the Constitution allows you to have that opinion and you can robotically issue an opinion that arguably is technically correct, but you've completely ignored what it means for the millions of people in this country who are affected by it. I mean, I feel like with something as important as this, Justice Alito owes it to everyone to get a little more personal in his writing and to try to explain what it is he's trying to accomplish, why it's important to him, and why he doesn't think there's a better way to accomplish what he wants to accomplish without causing people as much harm. His draft opinion is just pretty devoid of any empathy or appreciation for the lives of the people in this country whose lives may be very different than his own. And I don't fault him for having the perspective he has because it's just the product of 72 years of being in the body and mind of Sam Alito, which is a very unique experience unlike any other. Um, I guess what I'm saying is that I'd like Sam Alito and all of the justices of the Supreme Court to join me in taking time to really feel into the people who are writing the opinions and the people who are affected by the opinions. Um, I can I can close my eyes and meditate and transport myself into Sam Alito's mind and body and understand how and why he would say and do the things he says and does. And I can feel love and compassion for him and the complexities of his life and his needs and desires. And at the same time, I think Sam Alito and every man can meditate and try to really feel into the experience of being a woman and being in the body of a woman, being in the body of someone who can become pregnant, being in the body of someone who is pregnant, who is carrying a child, who is delivering a child. Uh, personally, I, I find it helpful to close my eyes sometimes and really just try to feel what it is to be in a woman's body at these different stages because it's just a completely different experience than the one I'm having. And I understand that it's not even close to accurately capturing the, the real experience and I'm inevitably overlooking many different feelings and emotions and thoughts and information that is beyond my comprehension and I'm sure the exercise would probably yield a very different experience for everyone who does it. But at least I can make an effort to gain more knowledge and 
more feeling and more information that allows me and would also allow Sam Alito, if he also did this, to capture maybe just a brief moment of connection, some very mild sense of the experience of being a, a, a different person and being in a different body that you've never felt before or paid attention to that helps remind us that this abortion issue is not just about the technicalities of the law and the words on the page and being right in your legal analysis and getting an A on your homework assignment that these laws concern and regulate and control and profoundly impact the lives of real people who are having very different experiences on this planet than the one you are having and maybe think differently than you think and possibly face very different challenges than the ones you are facing or have ever faced. And so if possible, it can be helpful to try to feel into those different experiences as much as possible and feel into those other human beings who share this planet with you and are equal to you and are one with you and are connected with you, whether you're aware of it or not, whether, uh, you know, so that when, you know, and that you do that when making important decisions that affect all those people. And so I lay on my back and I close my eyes and I focus my attention on my body starting from the top of my head and working all the way down. And I just allow myself to exist for a while in another body, in another mind, and to have a different experience on this planet. And I'm not going to do it now, but maybe I will create it as a separate episode, a short guided meditation for men to do this exercise of feeling into a woman's body and women can listen to it also obviously whoever reson it resonates with but it may not be for everyone so I'll, I'll post it separately hopefully in the near future but give it a try you don't have to tell anyone about it it's your private thoughts and just see what comes up um, but my main point today is that we still don't know everything yet and when the opinion is ultimately published, likely next month, the outcome could be different than what everyone is now expecting as a result of the leak. Again, I don't want to give anyone false hope, so everyone should still be uh, mentally and emotionally prepared for the leaked opinion to in fact be the final word of the Supreme Court. And if that is the case, there is a lot that can be done to fight it and fix it as quickly as possible and mitigate the harm that would be caused. And if that happens, I believe that it will be fixed and that the perceived victory for the anti-abortion movement will be short-lived because most people do not want other people involved in their sex lives or involved in their families or involved in their lives at all to the extent that some people want to be involved in your lives. And people are only going to tolerate so much and stand for so much. And I'll address what can be done if that happens. But until then, just remember that it's never really over, even when it's over. 
Thank you for listening.